Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Hazeline, founder of MedWorld. Today, I am going to be interviewing Dr. Angela Lim. Now, Angela is the 2017 finalist for Young New Zealander of the Year. She's a pediatric doctor, and she is now also the CEO and co-founder of Clearhead, which is New Zealand's first AI-driven diagnostic and triage platform for mental health and well-being. Today, we're going to be having a conversation and exploring how technology can deliver transformative health outcomes. So I'm really looking forward to it. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's great to have you here. Let's start, dive straight on in. Tell me, firstly, yeah, how did your career get to this point? You know, a lot of doctors <laughs> take very, uh, you know, medicine is a pretty prescribed path, um, mm-hmm. and you've decided to go in a different direction. So tell me how you got here. Yeah, I think that um, there will be a cohort of doctors listening to your podcast, which might kind of feel like um, sort of the treadmill that they're on is not something that they want to continue on. Um, they might be more junior and trying to figure out like what's a specialty that they're interested in. And so this, and I guess like I hope by sharing my story, um, just give you faith that like, you know, your medical degree in itself is valuable, even if you don't sort of continue ahead with just um, purely a clinical practice. Um, so my journey um, started when um, I sort of applied for medical school as a postgraduate. Um, and I got in and I think within the uh, first year of medical school, I was kind of, I had massive doubts um, about whether this was something that I wanted to to move forward with. I just, I think I, I felt like a, a, a lot of medical schools were rote learning and it was not the best way my brain applied. Um, and I was someone that I think over um, the next few years of medical school realized that I actually really love more strategic stuff, uh, much more around um, thinking about innovation and the role of innovation in, in healthcare uh, and especially technology. Um, I just like, I, I still remember it sort of um, thinking about how archaic it was to use a pager, you know, um, and, and in sort of when I graduated and, and was a junior doctor. Um, and it was not very long ago, that was only a few years ago, and I think I'm pretty sure the doctors are still using pages. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, sort of like, I guess that uncertainty about whether um, clinical medicine was for me sort of really started quite in the early days of medical school. Um, so because of that, I was constantly searching for well, what else could make me feel more confident about my place in the world. Um, but I also still really love health and, and wanting to help people. So my first foray was actually um, in sort of um, governance positions um, around sort of health IT projects that were being rolled out um, by the Ministry of Health. And I was actually only 21 when I sat on my first board. Um, and I think they were really just interested in, in the, the perspective of someone who could um, was connected well into the community, uh, but also was um, practicing uh, clinically in the future. Um, and so uh, that was my first taste and, and, and my journey, I guess, of the 10 plus years in technology. Uh, and then I sort of um, went into pediatrics training and um, I really loved it. Uh, but again, just felt like what drove me was like, how can I make an impact at scale? Um, and that sort of one-to-one relationship is very special, but there's only like 24 hours in a day and there's only so many patients I could see. Um, so basically, um, at the start of 2018, I kind of just came to sort of 
or self-reflection period as you do during, you know, sort of those new year resolution times. And I was kind of going, oh, I, I'm very lucky. I have a job I love. It pays me well. You know, I own my own home. I have good family and friends support around me. Um, and I just felt like I was coasting at the age of 28. And that was, a, I was like, well, if I don't sort of like get out of the treadmill now, I never will. Uh, so that's how I sort of started Clearhead was just this need to kind of um, apply my skills and what I've learned um, at, uh, at a larger level. And, and I'm happy to talk about what Clearhead is um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting one, I think, that that, um, you know, some people, uh, you know, from a purpose perspective, you know, I do a lot of work in burnout. And I think one of, one of the, not I think, but, you know, research shows one of the biggest protective factors against burnout is that purpose. And it's a really interesting perspective um, to consider whether you gain purpose in a one-to-one -one setting or a, um, a, in a one-to-many scale setting. Um, and I think, you know, the really good practitioners of medicine they get a lot of purpose from the one-to-one. -one. They love those interactions. They get a lot of meaning from it. Uh, and, and the, you know, they're, they're the doctors, they're the magic doctors who, you know, the patients love and, and have a really positive impact. And then there are some people like you yourself, you mentioned, I mean, I'm the same. Um, that wasn't, uh, didn't feel like where I wanted, it just didn't feel where I was drawn to, to have an impact. And so, you know, you know for me, it was also picking a one-to-many um, platform, which is, you know, the mid world, which is, you know, the many other doctors. Um, thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I mean, the reality is I work longer hours now running Clearhead than I did when I was a doctor. I definitely also don't get paid as much as I was when I was a doctor. <laughs> um, but I feel, I definitely feel richer in my life because, and I think, you know, ultimately, um, for me, I guess it's just that, have you heard of the term Ikigai? No. no. It's a Japanese term, but again, very much in relation to what you talked about purpose, which is just that melding of like, um, you know, what is it that you love to do? Um, what is it that you're really good at? Um, what is it that the world needs you, your, what you're good at, or what you're good at, um, and then what they're willing to pay you for. So these four intersections yeah. is really the the beauty of what you're trying to search and um yeah and as a doctor i i guess i um i technically ticked all of them but i felt that with through clearhead i applied more of my natural strengths um and therefore um provided a more unique value to the problems in the world than i could as a doctor because i felt very replaceable as a doctor i just felt like another cog in the machine um not that that cog wasn't important. It just didn't feel like um, I was use, using the, the best of my abilities. Yeah, interesting. Did, did it take, you know, because well, I remember when I, um, you know, went out and started med recruit originally and then med world um, and people were like, oh, it was so brave to, you know, leave, the, you know, stop practicing all the time. <laughs> um, and I didn't look at it that way. I was like, oh, I was just doing what I wanted to do where I thought yes. I could have an impact. Yes. You know, you know, did it take courage for you to make that decision or was it just a natural progression in terms of, you know, leaning into what you love, what you're good at, your skill set? Yeah, completely um, had the same experience as you. I still have people, um, other doctors um, say to me, oh, you're so brave for leaving. And actually, I felt like I, um, 
I would have to be braver to stay because I would have to be able to sit with potential regret, right? Like, cause, mm. um, there was so much of like, I wanted to explore that I couldn't explore through, through practicing medicine. So, um, I felt it was scarier to stay, um, actually, mm. um, and, and potentially live with that regret. So, um, so for me, it was, no, it was just, like you said, a natural progression. It wasn't, it, it was the same as well. Like it wasn't that like, I, I always knew clinical medicine wasn't forever. Um, but I didn't have like an inkling of but what would the alternative be? And I think that's also probably quite a few of your listeners would be experiencing It's like, okay, well, I'm not completely satisfied as a doctor, but like, what else can I do? You know, I've been shoehorned <laughs> into this thing. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I deliberately tried to broaden my skill sets and experience in addition to medicine. Um, and that will be my advice if you're listening and that's something you're curious about, just go dabble in other things on the side as mm. well. I agree. And devil, doing other things. Once a doctor, you're always a doctor. People <laughs> yeah. say you're leaving. And I say, you never, you never actually leave. No. You just start to become a doctor in a different way, don't you? Right. But, yeah. but let's get on to Clearhead. Tell me, what, what is Clearhead? Yeah. So basically, um, I wanted to solve this really cool issue, which is that um, I felt that the demand for healthcare far outstrips the supply of um human health professionals available. Um, we just can't train enough to meet that need. And it's also incredibly expensive to train that, that very highly skilled workforce. And I just felt that a lot of the way that we worked, potentially some of it could automate that sort of boring, repetitive stuff, um, and therefore actually empower the individual to actually make better care decisions in the community. But you can't just sort of say to patients, it's like, oh, you didn't make that good decision or you didn't take your medication or, you know, like when we never actually have the time to actually improve their health literacy. So those were like the two problems I wanted to marry up with technology. So we chose to work on mental health, um, even though this sort of problem around access exists within all of healthcare. Um, and the reason for that is because in New Zealand, um, about 95% of our public mental health funding actually goes to only 5% of the population that requires that support. And so you just, you sort of see that disparity in other parts of healthcare, but just, I've never seen it as acutely bad as in mental health. So I thought to myself in 2018, if I worked in that space, um, it had the biggest potential to make a difference. Uh, so this was, you know, I, I worked on mental health before. It is sexy, which it is now. Everybody wants to solve mental health. Um, so we um, essentially said, look, what does it, what is missing in a health system that we can create um, so that people who can't get onto the system can at least have an alternative through Clearhead. And so essentially what we've built is a digital triaging system that um, allows the individual to come on much earlier because there's less stigma um, and it's also much more scalable. And then the system triages them in three ways, um, either that they are in crisis and need to speak to someone immediately, um, whether they are just having a very severe symptom base or um, complex um, mental health history, um, and therefore should still see um, a clinician, but maybe not right now. Um, and then the third 
um, larger cohort, which is more sort of your mild to moderate end, um, who needs a bit of support, just wants to be guided, just wants to improve their mental health literacy, want to self-manage, can they do that as well? So the, you start that journey with this digital triage system that we've created, like, I guess, the equivalent of an AI therapist. We do use a bit of artificial intelligence to help with the triaging. Um, and then for those that are more, uh, need to see um, a clinician, we've actually built New Zealand's largest mental health um, therapist uh, marketplace. Um, and the biggest difference with our system is it's um, automating that coordination of care. Uh, so we have the real-time availability of these clinicians. Um, and just to maybe give you an example of what that means in real life, um, one of our users sort of came on at sort of um, and made a request for therapy at 11 p.m. on a Saturday for an appointment at 2 p.m. on a Sunday. And that whole process um, was basically um, confirmed by the therapist in the morning and, the, and seen in the afternoon. So when someone reached out for help to when they got seen to when we got invoiced and billed for the for the for the care delivered was 14 hours with not a middle person like a case manager uh, or a receptionist like having to coordinate that care during an after hour situation. Um, and that oh. person wasn't sort of like in distress or anything. He was just someone who needed help. Um, and so, yeah, so I think we were very proud to be able to deliver um, a positive experience in the real world and you not having to jump through many hoops because you're in crisis. Um, yeah, and then finally, obviously, just to kind of make sure that the system is always learning and and uh, the the re the the reasons in which people come to you will evolve. And so, how do you also use data analytics to continue to make the system relevant um, and personalized to the individual's needs? Um, yeah, so that's kind of um, I guess a snapshot of what Clearhead is and sort of one integrated platform. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting application of technology to augment humans. Um, do, you know, what, what are, I guess in terms of that, you know, we have had this discussion before, you know, the, 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 the mythical AI doctor has been <laughs> just around the corner for the last 20 years um, yeah. and, and hasn't actually quite come to fruition, you know, yet, but it's always just around the corner. <laughs> what, what are the challenges that you've faced in terms of applying technology in the in the health space? Yeah, so the main thing around applying technology like this in healthcare is safety is paramount. Um, so, for example, um, if you were going to say like, oh, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to just go get a off-the-box, uh, out-of-the-shelf kind of solution where there's a, a chatbot and an AI algorithm, and I'll just put it together and I'll create what Clearhead has done. Like, it's really hard because these out-of-the-box stuff are not trained in domain-specific um uh, I guess, uh, natural language. And so what that means is like if someone sort of uses this sort of out-of-the-box solution you put together and they say, for example, I'm going to, um, I'm so happy that um, all my problems are going to go away because I'm going to kill myself. Um, like these out-of-the-box solution that she respond back with, um, that's great, you know, you should go ahead with it. And so these um, safety ring fences um, don't exist and, and you, you need to take the time to think about what are all the different ways in which you would, um, and I guess, allocate a human being's response. Um, and then if you think about um, the complexity of 
all the different variables that exist around why you make the, the triaging decisions that you do. Um, as a human clinicians, you'll have to almost also program a similar knowledge map into into the AI. So it's, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but it just takes time to train the, the right model, constantly put the safety checks in place and stuff like that. Has that challenge been bigger than you thought going into it? Um, yes, in the sense that like, um, because we allow the users to come onto our system and say anything, um, like, if, for example, someone comes onto our system and says, like, um, I'm so anxious because of climate change, um, in order for the system to be smart, it needs to then understand that the main issue here is um, the anxiety, but also the scenario which they, they, they're anxious about, which is climate change. So how do I help the individual, one, reduce the, the, the symptomatic distress that comes from the anxiety, but also help them with understanding how they can work through the specific cause in which they have um, come to this point. Um, and so it's that almost that infinite um, uh, the infinite amount in which people can come to you for a particular problem, that's the hardest, I find. Yeah, okay. And, do you, I mean, do you see, obviously, AI as a part of that solution? But, you know, I mean, uh, you know, as, as I said, you know, the AI doctor's been, you know, around the corner for a while. Do you, do you think we're close to, for, to AI starting to be able to behave like a human in terms of this interaction or is it more a, a, a triage system for a, quite a long time do you think mm, i mean to be honest i think and we talked about it in the last call was like ibm tried spent 10 years spent a billion dollars and they still haven't succeeded um, and they also you know wasn't like uh, sort of general ai uh, to be uh, it was also uh, focused in sort of oncology uh, so they did pick a focus area and and was still not very successful so look the attempts of what we're trying to do is not guaranteed um and my hypothesis is that we're still at least two to three years away from achieving that yeah okay cool I mean, where, where um, obviously you, you pick this as a challenge, um, where, where else do you see opportunities in healthcare for technology to play a role, a bigger role than it's playing right now? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we could tangibly improve was that coordination of care stuff. Um, so I just gave you a very real example of the, from a patient's experience, but also what that then translates is in New Zealand, we have about, on average, a three-month wait list at the moment if you use the public system for, for support. Um, and on our system, it's like less than a week. So these are the ways in which like I don't need um, I don't need incredible applications of almost R&D type of technology to be able to make a difference. Um, but the challenge in this case is like um, having to be able to almost build an internet system in which you think about how this, you know, like you, if, if, for example, you're not able to work with the public system, which you often won't because you're very uh, risk adverse and only want to work with the same people who have like sort of 20 years established track record. Um, then you have to think about all the ways in which that pathway um, closes. So in the sense that you have to think about how do you, if you come up with a great idea, how do you get it in front of the people that would use the tool that you're building? So that's one challenge. 
The second is then how do you attract? Um, so, for example, in our case, you know, building the the large network, and we've talked about it, Sam, around MedRecruit, how you've got how you were successful in in, in recruiting the um, the clinicians that you do. Um, you know, it's how do you build that marketplace? How do you reach out to these clinicians who are in, in some ways very comfortable with the status quo and, and how they work? Um, and then in our case, you know, how do you convince them to to change some of the way that they behave um, so that you enable these processes to happen? And then the final loop is who's going to pay for it. Um, so, you know, so, I mean, if we're so not as, as consumers, especially in Australasia, we're not used to paying for healthcare. So if they're not paying for it, who is paying for it? And, and have you set that up as well? So um, I think the thing that people might have some naivety around, um, and, and this is what I've learned over the 10 years sitting on these governance boards, is like, it's not just like introducing a great tool. Um, it's very much about understanding what's the model of care that you're going to change, what's the incentive models you have to put in place so that, um, you know, sort of you do see that change in behavior. Um, you know, what are the all the unintended consequences of introducing a system like this? You know, are you just pushing the problem from, from one area to another area um, and all those kind of stuff. And then, of course, again, we talked about in healthcare, it's like how do you make sure that you minimize any harm caused and that you're, you're tracking to make sure that what you've done uh, creates value and is clinically effective as well. Got it. They've got, got a lot to consider, don't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not easy. But I mean, we talked about this, Sam, like it's like, um, I think there's a bit of a glamorization of, of entrepreneurship. And I think you and I do it because we just generally would not be able to sleep if we don't, but like, um, it's not a, it's not a path that I, I would recommend for anyone just, um, you know, wanting to have us, it's not a stroll in the park. I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. You said couldn't sleep without, we can't sleep doing it either. So that, that's problematic. <laughs> I don't know if you find that, but that's a, probably another discussion. Um, no, that's right. It's interesting, but I, but I think the interesting piece is when you find what you're passionate about and what you're really, what you, you're on purpose. I mean, I was the same when I started out. I was working a lot more hours than I did as a junior doctor. Mm. But it was almost like that purpose was protective because yes. I was so passionate about it. Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. And, all, you know, I was sort of, you know, just 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I did that for five mm. or seven years. And then I just, then I did start noticing, you know, that I wasn't enjoying it as much. Um, and I was still dragging, I was just dragging myself and, you know, Burnout can still happen, I think, even when you're on purpose. 100%, 100%. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm sort of like going through it a little bit at the moment because um, um, we're sort of getting to a point where we, we need to kind of raise a bit more capital. And I was saying to you, Sam, that this takes up quite a bit of time, but also like the, the business as usual stuff of running the business still has to occur. And, and so I was really working a lot with the BAU stuff and, and then now I've got to throw another piece of thing on my plate and it didn't feel like there was an end in sight and I was going to take a break and that only recharges me uh, but then lockdown happened and so my break didn't happen and um, so I was self-aware enough to know I needed a break but then you know like things outside of my control prevented it from happening um and so one of the things that I've been doing um, I don't know if you've heard of it it's called revenge procrastination have you heard of that one Revenge procrastination. Yes. No, I haven't. Tell me about revenge. <laughs> it just basically means that, like, so I also know that I need my sleep, but like, I also I think I was feeling like I'm working all the time, 
and I don't have any time to do like the leisure stuff, like you know, either like catching up with friends or like watching a TV show or like reading a book. And so um, I would get to a point where like I'm just gonna make it happen. And so I would work like these long hours, and then I would binge watch like hours of shows, and then I would go to bed at 1 a.m. instead of 10 p.m. Um, and that's what they call like revenge procrastination. It's like you almost like need a bit of that procrastination in your life. You didn't get it because you're working so hard. Uh, so you're sacrificing sleep, which is like not great. Um, and so like, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you again build that self-awareness and be like, okay, cool, I'll let it run for a couple of days, but then I can't let it go any further than that. Um, yeah, and so, so so yes, I completely agree with you that uh, you can be incredibly purposeful and and not want to change what you're doing in terms of like this purpose, um, but still kind of feel the edges of burnout when you're working too hard for it. Yeah, so how does the revenge procrastination work? Because um, you know there there are all there are all sorts of um, far more uh, wholesome type uh, you know advice when it comes to burnout, but that sounds quite fun. So it doesn't work. <laughs> um, I think that uh, what I was looking for was things that I couldn't multitask on, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. um, so for example, going for runs is really great um, because I don't, you know, like when I'm running, I'm, I can't juggle replying an email at the same time. Yeah. Um, but then because I have been working quite late, um, I couldn't really do it during the weekday. So I do, I definitely exercise during the weekends. And so I find that I do these revenge procrastination and it's kind of a new thing. It's just like, it's just the recent stress of the, the last week or two. Um, but I would do that in the weekdays because um, I didn't, I, I don't really want to go out to, for a run when it's really late at night. So the only thing I could really do to take my mind off things was, um, uh, was to watch TV. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think uh, it's interesting. The TV does get a bad rap, but for the entrepreneur, sometimes it's the only way to turn off the mind. Yeah. Meditation is helpful. But what surprised you in this journey? I mean, it's been an eventful journey so far. What what surprised you about it? Mm, I want to share a negative one, uh, which is like, I think I genuinely believe that um, if you're in healthcare, you're here for very predominantly altruistic reasons. Um, and as a doctor, you will mainly just meet other clinicians who mostly are doing it because they want to help patients, not because they want to make lots of money. Um, and then when I think I moved into the entrepreneurship space, and like I said, I was trying to um, be a part of the system, um, I learned quickly that there were a lot of entrenched interests um, that had no motivation to um, collaborate with you uh, or change the way that they work because the way the status quo works means that they make lots of money um, and to change will mean that they will make less money uh, even though it will be um, a lot better for the patient. So I think that was the thing I learned that surprised me the most was um, that even when you, even if the better solution for the patient exists, it's very hard to to bring that across because there are a lot of um yeah invested interest in in the in the status quo mm, that's a really interesting point isn't it and uh, and there's all sorts of research that shows that it's it's hard for people to do things that go against their what they perceive as their best interests yeah that's right and 
and it's 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 i mean it's a, it's a challenge in any industry you know including ours in medicine um you know and, and, and yeah. sometimes it means that we're quite slow moving and slow to adapt would you say yeah i mean i think that like i would almost say that it's it's a shock because we're clinicians you know like often most clinicians work two to three hours outside of what they would get paid either as a salary or what's billable for them um mm. because like you know like it just has to be done and so we stay on you know like we come in early to prep for for the patient list you know we stay on to make sure we finish the discharge summary like even though technically it's outside our working hours um and we we put in that goodwill um because ultimately we're not doing it for ourselves like we don't get any benefit for doing that we're doing it because the patient benefits um and and then i think that it was a, a surprise for me to kind of see that that didn't translate that same mentality didn't translate in the business world uh, for, for sort of the healthcare operations that exist yeah right and so you, you're talking not dealing with doctors you're dealing with more organizations mm, yeah yeah that's yeah. right yeah, I, mean, no, I, I think I, doctors work very hard and other health professionals do as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's interesting. As doc, we don't, no one, almost no one becomes a doctor, you know, for the money. Mm. Uh, and, we, you know, everyone goes in there because they do want to have an impact um, mm. in whatever way. And, and you yes. know, some of us find different ways to do that. But, you know, the six years in medical school and then the multiple years as a junior doctor, that that um that is just entrained in you that mm-hmm. you know that, that you know in, to put your interest second and that's problematic sometimes when it comes to the burnout that's but right it, but it does mean that we do we do put the patient and, mm-hmm. and, and patient care first and i think i personally think it's really important you know that doctors are in you know leadership positions okay. um you know within hospitals um in organizations um you know i think you know like with what you're doing in clearhead um Person, you know, a technologist could do the could lead an organisation like that, but I personally have a lot more faith in an organisation that's led by a doctor. You yeah. know, the work I'm doing in Med World, you know, technically it could be done by someone else, but I don't think the doctors would trust non-doctors. Yes. You know, trying to build yeah. out a community around medicine. So, I think it does highlight the importance. And anyone listening as well of of just why we need doctors actually stepping into those leadership positions because. Um, generally our interests are, are, are more altruistic. That's right. Yeah. And look, I think ultimately, and we talked about this, is like, you know, if I can reduce um, the load coming to you because patients are more effectively triaged, they are supported to, you know, self-manage in the community, then you're going to enjoy your job better because you're not asked to do more with less, you know, you're going to just get the ones that really need to see you. Um, and I guess that's my attempt of like managing and improving the burnout of our community. Right. Um, cause I, I think that this, I would just say it, like, I would say it's the abuse of our goodwill, um, and, um, health systems all around the world, um, not just public mental health, uh, not just public systems rely on doctors, going above and beyond. Um, but if we kind of all start to say, no, we won't do it, um, the system will fail. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think this is my attempt of making sure that the system doesn't fail by ensuring we build systems in place that reduces us losing our most important resource, which is our health professionals. Mm, absolutely. I mean, as you said early on, you know, 
demand in healthcare has and probably always will to some extent um, be greater than the supply. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point you make that healthcare professionals, the, the their good intent gets used against them by saying, you know, the solution is work you harder. Yeah. Um, and I think with what you're doing, and I think, you know, this is where technology does play a role is how can technology strip away the things that the healthcare professionals, the doctors don't have to do so they can do what they and only they can do, That's which is, you know, is treat that patient in front of them and, and have that individual connection. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, to me, that's where technology sits in healthcare is it's an augmentation to the people's work um, as opposed to it's certainly not a replacement. No, I would never say it's a replacement. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Angela, I mean, you're still pretty young, and you've got a wee way to go. But, 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 um, you know, you're not, you know. But if you could go back in time and uh, and give your 18 year old self, you know, when you first joined that board, uh, three pieces of advice. What would you say are the three most important things that you would tell that young, you know, <laughs> up and coming doctor to have a great life? Yeah, one is be patient uh, and trust that process. Um, I think that, um, it, you know, we live in a world where we want results immediately. Um, good things take time. So that's one. Uh, the second is to um, deal with the uncertainty and or more specifically sit with the uncertainty. Uh, there will be some things in life you can control. And then there are a lot of things in life you can't. Um, so know how to differentiate those two things and work on the things you can control um, and then accept the things that you can't uh, and that will give you peace. Um, and then the third thing is, um, yeah, just a network, like your network says everything. Um, a lot of my success personally, professionally and, and through Clearhead um, in some ways has has been seeded by a network that uh, um, that I've made sometime in my life. Um, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful um, for the people who supported us. Um, and yeah, so it's worth investing in, in your relationships. Mm, three great pieces of advice. And just finally, how would you like to be remembered? Ooh, um, well, if I'm not being too narcissistic saying this, but I would love to be remembered for transforming the health system um, globally um, in terms of improving the way people access care. Sounds like uh, sounds like a worthy challenge to be, to be working <laughs> towards. I think. I think that's that's great. Look, um, Angela, is there anything else that you'd want to say um, to any any doctors who are listening at the moment? Mm, no, just like um, you know, I hope that me sharing my story gives you faith that you can carve your own path. Mine is very unusual uh, for a typical doctor. Um, and I'm still really happy, really successful in what I've cho- defined success to be. Um, and I hope you find yours. And um, yeah, and if you're in New Zealand and um, you need to refer your patients on to get better mental support, you can look at Clearhead. <laughs> there you go. Good, good entrepreneurial plug there. I, I, I like that. I like that. Look, I think it's a, it's a great advice. And, and there are a lot of, you know, a lot of doctors, you know, practicing medicine is absolutely what they want, want to do. And for some, it, you know, it's not. They, they, they find that it's not quite what they want to do. And I, I have a belief that, you know, if you're just standing still, like if you're looking down a corridor, standing still, you can't see what doors are open. You can't see what's through those doors. Sometimes you just got to have that faith and start walking. 
um, and you, you'll, then you'll see the doors that are open and you'll see which ones you want to go through and you may go through some and decide you didn't want to go through that door. But, uh, but a, lot of, a lot of decisions we make in life, uh, you know, lot, lot, some of them are one-way doors, but many, most of them are two-way doors. And that, that for me has been really helpful in just terms of just relaxing. Uh, you know, you can make a decision and then it can be the wrong decision. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, but, so some of the things I've been able to do, I could never even imagine. Uh, but it was, like you said, Sam, taking that first step walking through that first door and then seeing the next door that um, you would never have seen if you didn't go through the first door to start with. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I think that's, that's a great takeaway from today. So uh, um, thank you, Angela. I really appreciate your time. I know you've, uh, know you're busy. I asked before this interview, anyone listening, I asked her before if she was still practicing medicine, he just laughed. She just laughed in my face. Um, she's like, there's no time. I haven't got no time for that at the moment. And I, I can, I can understand why. But look, I think, you, you know, it's great the path you've taken and, and it's really, I think, where, you know, the challenge you're trying to, to solve is very worthy and this augmentation of our healthcare you know, system is just so important if we want to try and uh, increase the supply side um, because we know that demand is ever increasing. Thank you, Sam, for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. And great to talk. And to everyone, thanks for listening.